Drilling Deep. I am John Kingston. Thank you for joining us today on this next installment of a Freight Waves Freightcasts. We usually kick off this podcast by talking about oil prices, and we're going to do that. As you can imagine, it's been pretty crazy in the wake of the killing of Iranian General Soleimani and the market reaction to it. But what continues to be really completely incredible, in my view, is that the oil market keeps taking these geopolitical hits, reacts like crazy for a day or two, and then calms down and sinks back. You you saw that back in September when the Saudi facilities were hit by Iranians. So as I record this, it's happened again. There was a big run-up Friday. There was more run-up as the kind of Monday day started, which actually starts on Sunday evening, Eastern time. And then on Monday, the market started to fall back. And uh, it's it's happened again. It's the mar- the market just does simply not want to build any kind of risk premium into the price. And here's the really good news for trucking companies and railroads and anybody that uses diesel. Diesel has been going down in all this. It was up the least amount last Friday and it was down on Monday. The fact is right now that U.S. diesel inventories have taken two big jumps in the reports that come out each week, usually come out on Wednesday. They came out on Friday uh, from the Energy Information Administration, you know, delayed a couple of days due to Christmas. So right now they went from a position of being really tight for much of the fall and into December, and they now go into a position not really of being loose, but certainly I think of being balanced. And traders are reacting to that. So there's really still no sign of IMO 2020 hitting diesel markets. And for now, at least, it looks like the oil markets are going to dodge another international incident without a big surge, like the attack on the Saudi facilities in December, in September, excuse me. The oil is still flowing. Who knows what could happen in a day or two? But it's almost as if the, the big reaction to the uh, Iranian, the, 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 the killing of the Iranian general has just gone right by us. So, but we did want to note a couple of things, you know, the classic two-handed economist thing. Harry Truman always said he wanted to meet a one-armed economist since all the economists he met would say to him, on the one hand, on the other hand, but sorry, the ghost of Harry, you're not going to get that from me today. So let me just say a couple of things about the oil market. On the one hand, OPEC, mostly in the form of Saudi Arabia, has cut about 3 million barrels per day of supply since about November of 2018. Uh, That has certainly had a lot of impact on the price. The price of oil in 2019 was able to take slow demand growth, pretty strong non-OPEC supply growth, and not collapse. And the reason it did that was because of all the cuts in OPEC, most of which came out of Saudi Arabia. So uh, when you look at that, you realize that there's a cushion in the market, that some of the some of the supply that was taken off by Saudi Arabia can come, come back on if there's any kind of loss elsewhere as a result of the, the new round of international tensions in the Middle East. The market also was supported because Iran had its production cut significantly because of U.S. sanctions. Venezuela had sanctions as well as like complete in- industry incompetence and collapse, keeping down, the, keeping down supply. So prices closed out the year about $8 higher than they were in February. The point here is that a lot of that market removed, that oil removed from the market included a big drop in Iran. That's not going to come back right now. But whatever happens between Iran and the U.S., the market can get some more oil back into it by bringing some of those supplies that were cut mostly out of Saudi Arabia. That's the big cushion that I think a lot of traders are looking at. On the other hand, the oil market has been acting like there's no risk premium. I remember a line from that classic book, When Genius Failed, which was about the collapse of long-term capital management back in the end of the 90s. And right before it, 
all sorts of financial assets were trading without much of a risk premium. I remember a line from the book that said it was as if everything was a T-bill. And I think when you look at the oil market right now, when you look at uh, all of the international tension that's surrounded it, you look at the, the, the politics of Iran, you look at the collapse in Venezuela, it's trading as if there is no risk premium. It's also trading as if the U.S. shale, uh, shale surge is going to go on forever, though. I think the fact that we've added so much uh, about you know $8 in price since the start of December is kind of a sign that maybe uh, the market is accepting the idea that shale might have a little bit of a cutback. So the fact remains that there is a lot of oil in the world, but the Saudi attack showed the vulnerability of the system back in September. It's that vulnerability that could make that cushion I referred to disappear very quickly. It's there for now. So that is really what should have everybody concerned and why there is certainly a case for higher prices, even if a shooting war of some form doesn't get started real soon. So now we're going to turn our attention to the New Year's Eve surprise, the temporary injunction that stopped the enforcement of California's AB5 legislation in that state. It stopped it only against truckers. If you're a freelance writer, for example, you're still under under the AB5 rules, which went into effect January 1st. So AB5 is something that we could talk about for a long time. We could talk about the, the legal part of it, but we're going to try to keep it simple. It essentially looks to make a lot more independent contractors be considered employees. In particular, it's got a provision known as the B-prong, which would make it hard for companies to hire independent contractors who do what the companies do. So if a trucking company wants to hire a janitorial service to clean their offices every night, that's okay because the trucking company is not in the business of providing janitorial services. But if a trucking company wants to hire truck drivers who are independent owner-operators, that's a problem under AB5. In fact, it's not just a problem. You could argue that under a reading of AB5, it's essentially banned. The preliminary injunction is going to be sought to become a temporary injunction at a court hearing on January 13th. The case was brought by the California Trucking Association. Weston Labar is the CEO of the Harbor Trucking Association, which is essentially the drayage industry out in California. And he joins us today on Drilling Deep. Weston, uh, Happy New Year and thanks for joining us today. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me, John. So uh, this wasn't your case. You were not a plaintiff in the case. Uh, so I know there's a limitation of how much you want to talk about it, but I'd have to think you had a very, very happy New Year's Eve as a result of this injunction being handed down on December 31st. Well, absolutely. Uh, it was great news to start the new year with. From day one, we felt there was a great argument for federal preemption of AB5, uh, specifically for interstate commerce and for trucking. The California Trucking Association has just done a great job of leading these legal efforts on behalf of the entire trucking industry in California. Uh, the ruling was the first step in a long journey that we ultimately feel will lead to uh, pre federal preemption of trucking from AB5. Uh, but, um, you know, this issue of misclassification has been something we've dealt with for a long time. And hats off to the California Trucking Association for picking up the mantle and, and helping the entire industry out. So, um the fact of the matter is that this was known for a while that this was coming. And I think it's important to talk about what your members did in preparation, because first of all, the AB5 might be upheld. Uh, I know I think certainly the signs point to it not being upheld for trucking, at least. But there are other states that are attempting to do it. Uh, New Jersey, I think, is the most prominent. The dynamics case, which kind of set the legal basis for this, is still out there. I mean, it is still... Uh, in the in the law books, not so much the law books, but is in the the, case, the book of civil law. So, what did your drivers do, or what did your companies do to get ready for AB five? 
Well, yeah, and, and as I said from day one, we felt very strongly that interstate commerce and trucking that uh, it, that provides interstate commerce transportation solutions would be preempted under the F4A uh, federal guidelines. But many of our members looked at a wide variety of, of different solutions. Uh, I've said this before. I looked at 2019 as the year of questions, not answers. Uh, almost everything we dealt with, we didn't have a clear, concise path on how to do things in a way that would uh, allow our members to continue to be competitive uh, in a global economy and at the same time comply with the laws. There was, there were, again, more questions than answers. And so we had members that did everything from uh, convert early to an employee model. But in that sense, you, you're giving up your right essentially to federal preemption should ultimately uh, the courts decide that interstate commerce trucking is federally preempted because it would revert back to the old Borello test. Uh, that California's used for the independent contractor classification test. And that says you can't reclassify an employee as an independent contractor under its strictest reading. And the Department of Labor has pretty much said that they feel like everybody is misclassified anyway. So um, as we take a look at that, we've got folks that have gone the route of, of creating employee uh, companies, but they, they know that this could create some competition in the market for them. That uh, So our members are looking at everything from uh, going the employee route, which uh, could create issues under the old standard of Borello, which is what it would revert back to if we're federally preempted. Uh, the concern there is obviously that they may be less competitive. The cost of their services may go up. Their productivity may go down. And ultimately, the biggest concern, I think, is that they would be uh, arbitrarily or voluntarily giving up the right to federal preemption should the California Trucking Association suit ultimately be held up that uh, our members are preempted under federal law. Uh, we've got members that have uh, been very confident that they will be preempted and have decided to do nothing whatsoever because they don't want to disrupt uh, their customers' services. They don't want to disrupt uh, their drivers. Um, and they've heard from their drivers that they don't want to be employees. And so you get caught between the, a rock and a hard place. Uh, I would say the majority of our members, however, have looked at some sort of a intermediate plan or a backup plan should the injunction not have uh, been held up or the restraining order, I guess, in this case, or, or should it be found that, yes, everybody in California cannot be uh, a 1099 independent contractor truck driver. And a lot of them have looked to expand upon their brokerage divisions, uh, using more subhaul agreements, helping their drivers um, connect to services such as the Harbor Trucking Association's Trucker Advantage Program, which helps them get their operating authority, their insurance, um, all the different things that they need to get incorporated to become independent businesses and have a business-to-business -business relationship. We've got folks that have looked at the model of using co-employers or, or leased employees, if you will, where they're a W-2 employee of another entity, but they're dedicated to a company that's it's very prominent in California for small businesses. It helps with a lot of the uh, labor codes, HR, um, and workers' comp issues. And so uh, our members have looked at a whole variety of things, but ultimately, I think the majority of hoped that they wouldn't need to do anything that was a wholesale change that would upset the apple cart uh, and cause their drivers to leave or their customers to leave. And one thing I would say, based on everything you said here, that it has kept labor lawyers and transportation lawyers very busy these past few months. Uh, absolutely. I think if anybody <laughs> has been the ultimate winner, it's been the attorneys. Um, right. California is a very litigious state. Sometimes I wish I would have uh, would have 
tried to sit for the bar in this state because I would be very, very busy. But uh, nonetheless, I think that um, that's been the biggest issue is our member companies don't have a clear line of sight on what is compliant with AB5 other than going the employee route. And as I've said, that can be very disruptive to their business for many different reasons. Ultimately, you can't move cargo without drivers. And if drivers don't want to be employees, you're not going to be able to uh, stay in business. So the question has more so been, what is your risk appetite moving forward? Not how do I comply with AB5? And when you talk with your attorneys, it's more, what can you defend in court as many of the different types of solutions will would have gone through the court system and may still go through the court system depending on the California Trucking Association case. Uh, but that's the tough part is any decisions that you're making, you're making hoping that you're right, not knowing that you're right. And that's where all the attorneys come into play. You're really rolling the dice at this point. You know, when you read AB5, it, it was fascinating the first time I read it because there are carve-outs in there. And the carve-outs have no rhyme, no reason. There are certain industries that are exempted from it. They make no sense in terms of a pattern. Uh, the only thing is you can you can imagine reading the pattern why there'd be independent contractors. For example, surgeons got a carve-out. And I can imagine a surgeon coming into a certain hospital. They're not employees of that hospital, but they're just going to work a particular operation. Um, there are, I think you said, tattoo par- tattoo artists get a carve out there. Uh, is there any chance that the backers of AB5 here are going to see, because they've been talking about making changes because there's a lot of uproar in California over AB5. Is there any chance that they say in the rewrite of it, which we, I guess, all expect is going to happen, that just say, you know what, we're kind of losing here in the courts to truck drivers. Let's give them a carve out too. Um, you know, I think that's all open for debate. This is a very political argument. If you look at the folks that have been uh, exempted versus not exempted, most of the classes that are traditionally independent contractors that haven't been exempted have been the target of organized labor for, for a very long time. You look at the trucking industry, you look at the rideshare economy, uh, you, you look at the freelance writers. Um, you know, the, the LA Times, for instance, no longer uses as many freelance writers as they used to because they, they unionize. Um, and, and even the exotic dance community, which in California got a lot of publicity last year, uh, wanting to remain independent contractors versus some that wanted to be employees of, of their establishments that they worked at. Um, the problem in the past has been that California likes tax revenue because they enjoy the, the big budget government. And many of the elected officials are uh, put in office by organized labor, among other special interest groups. And so I think you can see very clearly some themes there. Uh, I think the funniest story I actually heard was in Sacramento, uh, the day after the decision uh, for AB5 to move forward, uh, or when the discussion was happening, many of the uh, barbers and and hairstylists in Sacramento did not go to work. And it was difficult for many of the legislators to get their hair cut. And so that's how essentially the the beauticians and barbers got a carve out. But uh, that's going to be the ongoing struggle. Certain industries were targeted specifically. Other ones have been swept into this because uh, they didn't think it applied to them or they didn't realize that, that maybe they were independent contractors and, and were going to be outlawed under AB5. And even recent comments from many of the state legislators realized that this bill was put together very quickly. Uh, it was done so because of the Dynamex case. And at the end of the day, uh, it needs some fixing. Trucking was specifically called out on the Senate floor when they passed AB5 saying they needed to come back and fix trucking. But it's such a political argument. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they wanted it to be solved in the courts as opposed to in the legislature, because 
uh, it's going to be a difficult proposition and, and a big lift to uh, overcome the Teamsters political machine here in California. Right. And, and if you and if you're a legislator with ties to the Teamsters, if the courts take care of it, you never have to cast a vote against what the Teamsters want. Exactly. You look at the author of the bill, for instance, you know, Lorena Gonzalez, uh, she's looking at higher office and she desperately wants to align herself with the special interest groups that can get her there, the Teamsters being one of them. And so if you look at these situations, uh, they carry a lot of weight in the state. And um, that's why I think that certain industries were not looked at and will have to go to the court systems. And I don't think trucking is going to be the last one. I, I do think the rideshare economy uh, is looking at their different ways to remedy it. We've heard ballot measures We've, we, as, a, as an opportunity. We've heard more court cases. We've heard now the freelance writers have issues, um, obviously, because of freedom of speech. And uh, we'll see how this all plays out. But I think we're probably the first of many different classifications of worker to fight AB5. And we'll see how the legislature responds. Yeah, it, well, you've mentioned Dynamex a couple of times, and I think it's important to note here that AB5 grew out of Dynamex, and Dynamex was the case that uh, the legal case that set up the ABC test. I talked about the B prong earlier. That's still there, and co- and even if the tr- even if trucking wins or the California Trucking Association case wins, or there's a carve out in the legislation, the fact is that uh, any kind of trucking company still could be sued under the tenants of the Dynamics case. So they've got to be having their eye on that as well. Well, yes and no. Uh, so case law is a lot easier to fight than uh, than is statute. Uh, if it's a law, it's a law. If it's a legal opinion, it's a little bit different. Also, if the federal courts say that interstate commerce is preempted from the B-prong, uh, I don't I don't see a situation where all of a sudden Dynamex would supersede um the federal court case. Although, to your point, it would probably have to go through its own court decisions, perhaps. Um, who knows? But right, and let, let's remember, Dyn- Dynamex was, was, was handed down in a state court, and the case now that California Trucking Association is bringing is in a federal court. Exactly. And, and essentially, Dynamex, uh, the reason that we got into the situation is they reclassified all of their drivers to independent contractors from employees, which, again, was illegal under the old model of Borello. So uh, different situation. Uh, that's why many of our members uh, were fearful of, of preemptively going to a employee model, because that's what essentially got us into this situation to begin with. But uh, you know, I, I think, again, we're headed towards clarity on this. Uh, a lot of it's going to be figured out in the federal courts. Uh, California Trucking Association will continue to carry the water for the industry on that. And, and Harbor Trucking Association and other entities will continue to do what we have to do to support our membership to make sure that no matter what happens throughout this process, that they're in a position where they can continue to compete for freight in a very competitive global economy. Okay. Weston Labar, I want to thank you for joining us on Drilling Deep. This is not going to be wrapped up anytime soon, so I think we'll come back and want to speak with you again. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about things here in 2020. We've got a lot of, hopefully, questions to the answers that started in 2019. And John, thanks, as always, for having me on. All right. And that's a wrap for our first 2020 edition of Drilling Deep. I'm John Kingston. Join us again on Freight Waves Freightcasts. Freightcasts.